Welcome to our continuing 2018 educational webinar series. I am Catherine Short, Partnership Marketing Specialist at, for FIRST Healthcare Compliance. At FIRST Healthcare Compliance, we help you with a comprehensive compliance management solution tailored to your business, a hospital, hospital network, healthcare practice of any size, billing company, or skilled nursing facility. As part of our complimentary educational webinar series, we bring you experts from around the country to discuss relevant topics in the healthcare industry. We are so pleased to have Trey Scott, Associate Attorney at Kennedy Attorneys and Counselors at Law, a health, health law boutique in Dallas, Texas. He received his Bachelor of Science and MBA from Texas Tech University at Lubbock. Trey received his JD degree from Texas Wesleyan University School of Law in 2012. During law school, he was a member of the Student Bar Association, serving as the social chair in, and 3L representative. Mr. Scott also interned with the 106th District Court of Texas in La Mesa, Texas in 2010. In private practice, he has worked with medical practitioners on meaningful use appeals, matters involving the National Practitioner Data Bank, Medicare, Medicaid investigations, wage and hour lawsuits, contract litigation, payer post-payment audits and appeals, government surveys, appeal and compliance. Mr. Scott is licensed in Texas and currently focuses his practice on health law and healthcare regulatory compliance, as well as administrative law and civil litigation. Since joining Kennedy in 2015, he has assisted clients in civil and administrative litigation, payment and reimbursement appeals, and professional licensing boards, regulatory licensure, filing and compliance, fraud and abuse defense, employment law, transactional issues, and other provider matters. A copy of the slide deck is available for download on the control panel. Feel free to submit questions in the question box on your control panel during the presentation. We will address questions at the conclusion of the presentation. Your PACOM CEU certificate will be emailed to you from PACOM following the broadcast. There is no need to request it. Additional CEU opportunities will be available to BC Advantage members following the live broadcast. See their website for details. Trey, go ahead. Thank you for the introduction, Ms. Short, and thank you for joining the uh, webinar today. It is um, a great pleasure to get to speak with all of you about the Medicare Part A and Part B appeals. Now, the title of my presentation is Money Talks, Medicare Part A and Part B Appeals. Now, when you hear Money Talks by ACDC, what comes to mind? Now, there's a story behind the song uh, Money Talks. Whenever I was growing up, I had older siblings, and this was during the 80s and 90s, and the music that they listened to uh, was rock. They listened to ACDC. They listened to uh, Metallica, Van Halen. So um, majority of my memories of music from that time are rock songs by those, those artists that I just mentioned. My parents listened to uh, country music, but I was introduced to rock by my siblings. So whenever I was putting together the presentation, um, Money Talks seemed to be the appropriate 
title based on um, based on what we're going to discuss here. But now, now you know what comes to mind whenever I hear the song. But what comes to mind whenever you hear the song? Is it hair metal? Um, the glory days of bands with lots and lots of hair and hairspray. Um, is it because of the catchy lyrics in the song Money Talks? Um, maybe it's because the lyrics sound a little dated uh, based on everything that's going on in um, culture today. Or who knows? It could even be your favorite favorite song. I I will admit, um, out of ACDC and their vast collection of songs, uh, Money Talks is actually um, a song that I tend to play more than any other ACDC song. Isn't my favorite one? Not necessarily, but somehow it manages to uh, get played more than others. Now let's go back to why Money Talks. Throughout this presentation, you are going to see a daunting appeals process for appealing Medicare Part A and Part B claims. You're also going to understand uh, what happens whenever a review slash audit is done of previously paid claims, and that uh, that sample audit is then extrapolated over a universe of two years, and the result is going to be a situation where the provider is left owing a lot of money. So it seems it seems appropriate because whenever it comes to Medicare Part A and Part B appeals, money talks. So that's that's the reason for the song. Now, as Catherine mentioned, I am an associate attorney at Kennedy Attorneys and Counselors at Law. I have a lot of experience in overpayment matters. As a matter of fact, the first case I worked on whenever I joined Kennedy Attorneys and Counselors at Law was a six point, I believe it was two million dollar um, overpayment that went through the Medicare Part A and Part B appeals. I also have assist. Uh, I also have assisted uh, providers in Department of Justice slash Office of Inspector General uh, investigations and document productions. I've assisted providers um, in revocations and suspensions, and also a lot of HIPAA breaches. We, we have had our uh, fair share of dealing with providers that um, deal with uh, HIPAA breaches, then there's meaningful use. Uh, medical malpractice, not as prevalent in uh, the state of Texas where I practice due to tort um, caps but still still an area that we have cases on and then matters before uh, medical boards now just to give you a roadmap of where where we are going today um, first of all we're going to talk uh, talk about the uh, stages of the appeals uh, the process is a five stage appeals process um, we're also going to talk about various issues throughout the appeal process because there are issues that for the um, 
for the providers that are not aware of these issues, it can be very frustrating and also cause uh, significant delays. And then finally, I'm going to leave you with some final thoughts on what the uh, appeal process is. I've kind of tipped my hand already uh, by stating um, that I said it was a daunting process. So that's that's the roadmap today. And let's get started with uh, the appeal process. Now, the first stage in the appeals process is what's known as an initial determination. And you can find information regarding initial determinations from 42 CFR sections 405.920 through 405.928. And just to let you know, CFR stands for the Code of Federal Regulations. Now, the Code of Federal Regulations is different than a stat, a statutory authority. The Code of Federal Regulations is essentially what uh, governmental agencies use uh, to, uh, as, uh, as guidelines, as, regu as regulations. These are the uh, regulations slash red tape that um, people deal with when dealing with governmental agencies. And as you all know, um, HHS or Health and Human Services uh, is a governmental uh, is a governmental agency, and within uh, Health and Human Services, there's CMS, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. So that's that's the governmental agency we are uh, we are dealing with, and the regulations we are we are looking at. Now, an initial determination. This is a determination as to whether a claim should be paid or whether the claim should be denied. This is performed at the uh, MAC level, which is the uh, Medicare contractor that is um, uh, the Medi uh, Medicare administrative contractor that deals with um, the area that you are in. For example, uh, in Texas, if you're a home health agency, more than likely you were dealing with Palmetto. If you are a EMS provider, you are dealing with Novitas. Now, after a determination is made, then notice is sent regarding that uh, determination. And the notice is going to let you know whether the claim is approved or whether the claim is, uh, is denied. Now, you can appeal uh, initial determinations. This is what starts the appeal process. The denial or approval uh, starts the appeal process. Now, previously paid claims can be reopened pursuant to 42 CFR 405.986. Now, what this means is all of the claims that you previously submitted that were paid can be reopened if good cause exists. Now, what uh, what determines good cause? That's that is essentially up to the UPIC. Now, UPIC stands for Unified Program Integrity Contractors. These are um, these are contractors that investigate fraud, waste, and abuse. In Texas, the um, UPIC 
is Clarent. That's Q-L-A-R-A-N-T. The contractor used to be Health Integrity, and it was a ZPIC, or Zone Program Integrity Contractor. However, Health Integrity dissolved and became Clarence. Now, what the UPICs do is they send a letter to providers requesting a sample. They want 30 records because they, they have essentially found that uh, there was new evidence that suggests that the claim may or may not should have been paid. So they, uh, they request a sample. Now that sample is anywhere from 25 to 50 to 60 records. After they receive these records, they review them and determine whether they should be paid or not. And then they determine an error rate out of those claims. The error rate can vary between 70 to 95%, some cases 100%. What the UPIC then does is extrapolates that error rate over a over a period of two to three years, over a universe of claims that are exactly or very similar to the claims that were sampled. That is how you end up with the $6 million overpayment, the $12 million, the 400000 400, is because of statistical sampling and extrapolation. So those, those determinations are worth your time to appeal because money talks and that's money that unfortunately you were already paid or the provider was already paid so in the government's or CMS's eyes that's money that is owed back to uh, back to CMS so they send a request for um, they send notice that the determination was made and then they request payment. Well, after you receive that uh, determination, you can go to the first stage of the appeal, which is known as a redetermination. A redetermination, um, regulations for redetermination can be found in 42 CFR sections 405.940 to 405.958. Now the appeal, must be filed within 120 days from the date of receipt of notice. Now, going back to the previous slide, um, I said that notice sent regarding the determination. Once that notice is once that notice is sent and received, that's whenever you're able to appeal. Now, it is assumed you received the notice within five days of the date on the notice. Now, do you really receive it within five days? It, it depends. Um, the government says it's assumed you receive it within five days. And if you received it after the five days, then you need to have proof that you received it after the five days. And since a lot of these are not sent via FedEx or um, or other means it's it's somewhat hard to prove that the 
it was received after the five days. So in our office, the standard procedure is we just appeal based on the date on the notice. It gives it gives you time uh, time to make sure you get it in. Now you have 120 days, but recoupment starts at day 40. Now recoupment is all money that you should be receiving for claims that were sent in. Um, it is recouped. It's uh, taken back. You're not given that money. So say you have $20,000 in claims that you're awaiting to receive from Palmetto, but you have a $400,000 overpayment. At day 40, if you have not filed an appeal, the Palmetto is going to take that 20000 and apply it against the debt against the 400,000. Now that gets very very complicated uh because you should have 120 days but in essence you really don't. Um so if you want to avoid recoupment you file at day 40 and recoupment stops whenever the appeal is filed. I should say recoupment stops when the appeal is processed and it could take some time for uh, the appeal to be processed at the first level. Now your re redetermination is sent to the Medicare administrative contractor that is listed on the notice letter. It, the notice letter provides you um, who you need to send the redetermination to. Now the redetermination uh, request must state why you disagree with the determination and should include all supporting evidence. A decision should be issued within 60 days, but that can vary. Um, it's extended every 14 days, uh, or, or it's extended 14 days every time you supplement with additional evidence. Now, one good benefit of supplementing uh, with new evidence is you continue um, preventing recoupment from occurring. However, you are charged interest on the debt, and I believe the interest is um, upwards of 9%. I, I'm not sure the exact exact amount of um, interest at the current time, but it is it is a substantial amount. Now, the next stage of the appeal is a re uh, reconsideration. And a reconsideration occurs after you receive a um, redetermination decision. The Medicare appeals contractor reviews everything that you submitted and determines that your um, redetermination was either favorable, partially favorable, or unfavorable. And the reason that that can occur is you are appealing, uh, in some situations you are appealing multiple claims and you're appealing the statistical sampling that I mentioned earlier um, in this presentation. So there, there are multiple parts to an appeal unless you are appealing one claim. So that's, that's why it could be favorable, partially favorable, or unfavorable. Now, the reconsideration, it must be filed 180 days from the date of receipt of decision. 
again the five uh the same five day assumption and at this stage you are protected a little bit longer from recoupment you are protected uh from for 60 days after the decision so in this case we recommend filing on day 45 the reason we recommend filing on day 45 is uh, it could take some time for uh, the contractor that you send your reconsideration to it could take them up to two weeks or 10 business days to um, log the reconsideration into the system so you don't want recoupment to start um, on day day 60. Now a reconsideration is to be filed with the qualified independent contractor for your region and in tech in the case of Texas the quick is C2C and that's that's where the reconsideration is filed uh, the request for reconsideration must include evidence facts and or law related to the disagreement and any evidence you have uh, should be sub submitted at this stage because there are regulations out there stating that evidence submitted after the quick decision after the reconsideration decision can be barred uh, we'll discuss that a little bit later on in the presentation but it is recommended that you submit your evidence at this at this stage no later than this stage a decision on your your request for reconsideration should occur within 90 days that can be extended uh, based on the additional submission of evidence or if it just takes uh, longer than 60 days for um, the quick to issue a decision if it takes if it's going to take longer than 60 days uh, the quick normally sends you a letter informing you that it's not going to be uh, processed in the 60 days and provides you with options on what to do if it's not going to be uh, processed in the 60 days. We'll discuss that uh, later on in the uh, in the presentation. Now the third level is the ALJ hearing stage, the ALJ stage. This stage occurs um, after reconsideration, after a reconsideration decision is issued. Um, there are a lot of regulations regarding ALJ hearings. The regulations for ALJ hearings can be found at 42 CFR sections 405.1000 1058 so there's there's a lot of regulations out there the request for ALJ hearing must be filed within 60 days of the reconsideration decision again you have the five-day um, assumption now here this is this is where it gets interesting regarding recoupment now at the reconsideration stage once your uh, request for reconsideration is filed recoupment stops it's it's 
the same as the redetermination stage. However, once you get to the ALJ stage, recoupment does not cease. It starts on day 31 after you have received your um, reconsideration decision and continues. Uh, it could vary um, because if you prevailed at either the redetermination stage or the reconsideration stage, the Medicare administrative contractor uh, issues a recalculation and if you had a favorable or a partially favorable decision, the uh, amount is recalculated and um, recoupment begins 30 days after receipt of the uh, recalculation. So there is, there is some variance on that. However, the safest thing to assume is that reconsideration is going to begin on day 31 after, after the decision. Like I stated in the previous slide, uh, all new evidence uh, is most likely barred from being admitted unless you can show um, unless you can show good cause. Now, good cause um, it it really it really varies. It could be um, serious illness uh, prevented the submission of the evidence. Possibly these these are just ways to state that it could possibly um, be good cause. So the safest thing to do is to submit all evidence before you get to this uh, before you get to this stage. Um, the request for ALJ hearing must state the reasons for disagreement with the reconsideration decision. These disagreements can be again facts, evidence, or um, facts, evidence, or law as to why as to why you disagree. Now, at the ALJ stage, you unless you waive uh, because there are um, ways to waive a hearing, and most of them, you ha most of the ways to waive a hearing involve actually stating to the ALJ that you do not want a hearing. Uh, you just want a uh, decision on the uh, submissions, which means an ALJ decides your uh, decides the case based on written uh, your written submissions. Um, but the hearing is open to parties and to other persons the ALJ considers necessary and proper. In this case, um, who the ALJ most likely considers necessary and proper, that is the uh, you, that is the quick, or not the quick, sorry, the uh, you pick, uh, because they determine the statistical sampling if it's a case involving statistical sampling and uh, the Department of, uh, not Department of Justice, sorry, the Office of General Counsel uh, for CMS. They're the CMS attorneys. Uh, at this stage, the ALJ examines issues, questions parties, and may limit testimony. Um, it, it depends on the ALJ's view as to whether testimony is appropriate or also just time frames. Uh, the hearing can be continued in two parts. 
This, this occurs whenever you have multiple witnesses that are going to be testifying, and also it is a case where there are multiple claims at issue. An example would be a uh, $400,000 overpayment where you have where you're challenging the statistical statistical standpoint and whenever you have someone that is testifying as to why the individual claims are or, or should be approved. So you have a statistical sampling expert, you have a medical records expert, you also have a nurse administrator that treated the patients. That's how a hearing can be continued in multiple parts because Clarent or the UPIC will also have someone come in and testify stating that the statistical sampling they they conducted was appropriate. Now, the decision from an ALJ should occur within 90 days from date request is filed. This is not currently the case, unfortunately. ALJ appeals, according to the American Health Lawyer Association, I believe this was in February or March of this year, they said that ALJ appeals can take more than 1,100 days. That is a very, very long time for a, for a decision or to wait for a decision. The ALJ can decide that all the claims should be approved, the statistical sampling can be thrown out. The ALJ can also remand the decision to the QUIC or the Qualified Independent Contractor and say, and say you messed up, fix something. So there, there are a lot more options at this stage than previously. After the ALJ issues its decision, we go to the Medicare Appeals Council, and this is a request for Medicare Appeals Council review. The regulations for the Medicare Appeals Council review can be found at 42 CFR sections 405, uh, 1100 through 405, 1140. Now, the MAC review timeframe identical to that of the filing a request for ALJ. It's 60 days, and there is the same assumption of five days. The MAC, the Medicare Appeals Council, its request must identify parts of the ALJ's decision that the appellant disagrees with and why. Previously, you could, you could essentially file a request for ALJ hearing and just say, I disagree based on the reconsideration reconsideration decision, and here's why. You could just say, I disagree, and they messed up. You're not gonna, more than likely not going to prevail, but the ALJ reviews everything and uh, conducts their own investigation, and they can issue a determination and says, well, yes, he, he disagreed, but he is correct. It's, it's wrong. At the MAC level, you cannot do that. You must identify specific parts of the ALJ's decision 
that you disagree with and explain why you disagree with them and it needs to be it needs to be detailed say the ALJ approved the statistical sampling even though the expert testified that the it, it was it was flawed in this way you can bring that up and say I disagree with the ALJ's decision because my expert testified to this 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 and this and the ALJ did not give enough deference to my expert that that is how this appeal would occur a decision must be issued by the 90th day similar to the uh, similar to the ALJ now the council may adopt modify or reverse the ALJ and they can also remand uh, remand the case to the uh, to the ALJ very very similar to um, the ALJ now here after Mac review there is one more stage now this is judicial review so after the Mac issues its decision by the 90th I mean by the 60th day if you disagree with the Mac decision say it adopted the ALJ's decision and the ALJ did not uh, find anything in your favor and you want to go to another stage you file a lawsuit for judicial review in the federal district court where the where the provider resides so for example just just to give an example of my area we have a say we have a provider in Dallas that receives a MAC decision that it disagrees with and wants to file a uh, request for judicial review the case would be filed in the northern district of Texas and it should be pointed out that since this is a federal matter since you were dealing with CMS and this is a federal matter the judicial review must be filed in federal court just just wanted to uh, point that out there now let's talk about some issues in the appeals process I've named a couple as we went through but there are there are uh, others evidence bar um, this this is a very big issue because it can make or break your case say you're you found uh, something and unfortunately you didn't have the opportunity to submit it at the redetermination or reconsideration stage you can state why it was not submitted at one of those uh, stages but the ALJ can rule as to whether it should be admitted or not um, and if that evidence is barred it's it's very very difficult after after that an example of this would be you want to retain a medical records expert to review your records and provide summaries as to why each individual claim should be approved you want to include that with your you want to include that with your request for reconsideration unfortunately your expert takes too long and that evidence is not able to be submitted that written 
Those written statements are not able to be submitted. You can try to get them admitted at the ALJ stage. You can say, well, this is just written, this is just written testimony, and it was not available because my expert took too long or my expert had some sort of some sort of delay. That may or may not be admitted. It honestly depends on the ALJ that you get in this case. If the ALJ decides that evidence is barred, you can object and raise the issue with the MAC. Now, remember, whenever I stated that, uh, you can identify parts of the ALJ's decision that the appellant disagrees with and why. That could be one of the reasons you disagree with the decisions that this was not this evidence was not allowed, and you can raise the issue with the MAC, and it would be up to the MAC to determine whether or not. Um, the ALJ was correct in allowing the evidence to be barred or not. The next issue in the appeals process is the delay. Now, cases at the ALJ level can take years, years due to the volume. According to uh, HHS, there are estimated one or there will be an estimated one million appeals at the AOJ level by 2021. One million appeals that AOJs have to work through. Now, in September of 2017, there were an estimated uh, 594,000. So, according to HHS, they just they believe that the backlog is just going to continue because more and more appeals are being submitted than what ALJs can actually go through. So this leads to a substantial substantial backlog. And the unfortunate part of a delay is that, remember, you are being recouped at this stage. So something that should take 90 days, but actually takes 1,100 days, and you're being recouped during that whole time. If it's a $400,000, if it's a $400,000 overpayment, then you've probably almost paid that back, and it. Or if you haven't paid it back, uh, you end up going out of business, which is not good for, obviously, your employees or the patients that you're treating. It's This is a very, very serious issue. It's increased from February 2014, uh, because in February 2014, the wait to even be assigned to an ALJ was 28 months. It's It has increased by some time. Now, another issue is it's not only limited to the ALJ level. Delays can occur at each stage, but at the redetermination and reconsideration stage, if there's a delay, it doesn't hurt you other than the uh, accruing of interest. Um, but at the AOJ and MAC level, it does hurt due to 
the recoupment. Uh, we represent a provider currently that sat at the MAC for over 1,500 days. It's unfortunately that provider is now out of business. Uh, they closed their doors, and we are going through going through a lawsuit um, based on based on the delay. But delays do delays do happen, and unfortunately, the delays can be very harmful. Now there are options to avoid to avoid the delay. Uh, the regulations provide for an opportunity to escalate uh, to a new level if it's taking if it's taking too long. If your case is set at the reconsideration, the ALJ, the MAC level, if a case is set there longer than the appropriate time for a decision to be made then you can escalate to the next level. An example, say your case is at the ALJ level, it's set there for 90 days, and you don't have a decision yet. You're like, well, this is taking way too long. I need, I need to be heard because I'm about to go out of business. So you request a, you request escalate. That takes it from the ALJ level to the MAC level. Uh, essentially, the request to escalate states that the ALJ has to issue a decision within five days. If not, you go to the next level. There are pros to this. The pro is obviously that your case gets heard instead of sitting there for 1,100 plus days. The negative drawback is you lose the opportunity to prevail at the skipped level. So if you're sitting at the ALJ level and you go directly to the MAC, you lose the chance of potentially prevailing at the ALJ level. You've essentially um, essentially knocked a four stage, a five stage administrative appeal process down to a four stage. And I say five stage because of the redetermination, reconsideration, ALJ, MAC review, and judicial review. Um, an, another option to avoid the delay is a lawsuit. Now, I've listed two cases. Uh, the first case, even though it's listed at the bottom, this case happened first. It's a, a 2016, I believe 2016, uh, case decision. Um, it's American Hospital Association v. Burwell. It can be found at 812F. Three D one eighty three, and this is out of the DC Circuit. Uh, what this case essentially stated was that delays are taking too long, and providers should not be forced to escalate. Essentially, it's telling the uh, essentially it's telling CMS clean up the backlog of cases. Now, CMS is working to do that because they do have some special initiatives that are occurring at the um, uh, occurring at the ALJ level, which you may or may not uh, qualify for. That can be found at that can be found at the Office of Medicare Hearings and uh, it, it's OMHA. It's 
O-M-H-A. Uh, they can be found at that site. Uh, the next lawsuit is one that actually happened at the Fifth, uh, Fifth Circuit. This is Family Rehab v. Azar. It's 886F.3D496. And this case, um, the Fifth Circuit said that the court messed up, the lower court messed up, in not allowing for family rehab to receive an injunction preventing uh, recoupment. Now, just some facts. This case involved a seven million, uh, over $7 million overpayment, and it had gone from the redetermination to reconsideration level, and a reconsideration was decided. Then they filed a request for ALJ, However, the request for ALJ was not being heard, and the court had some interesting language. It said, um, and this is on, <coughs> excuse me, uh, this is on page 500 of the decision. It says, yet an ALJ hearing is not forthcoming, not within 90 days and not within 900 days. According to Family Rehab, and effectively conceded by the government, it will be unable to obtain an ALJ hearing for at least another three to five years. And based on HHS's own admissions to a federal judge, the logjam of Medicare appeals shows no signs of abating anytime soon. Thus, the earliest family rehab could in complete administrative review through escalation, which could be as late as July 24, 2018, or 270 days after uh, they filed their uh, request for ALJ hearing. Now, the court was essentially saying this, this is ridiculous and was saying that the lower court should have granted the decision, uh, the injunction to family rehab uh, because because of the delay. And this is something that if providers are able, if they find themselves at the ALJ level and they do have appropriate funds, uh, this is something that we recommend seeking an injunction because due, due to the delay of cases. Now some final final thoughts. Final thoughts on this process. It is extremely daunting. There are a lot of regulations and I'm going to show you real quick. This is going to be, this is all the regulations regarding the appeals process. It starts it starts at um 405-900 and just goes through. It's a lot of regulations to know what you need to what you need to have in the administrative appeals process and the various stages, what can be submitted, what can't be submitted, uh whether discovery is allowed, the process and effect of a remand. It goes all the way to the Medicare Appeals Council review and then talks about uh, judicial review. It is a very, very convoluted, convoluted process that providers have to have to go through and it's 
and it's very daunting. Um, the appeals process can be long and costly because if you if you just go through a regular process and you end up having everything go your way, uh, decisions are issued within 60 days, and every and everything goes your way. It still is very long and still can be very, very costly. But you end up running into situations where the appeals process takes longer. It can take seven years. It can take even longer than that. It's very, very, very daunting and costly. Um, as stated, there's multiple requirements for each level under the regulations. And finally, the worst thing about the appeals process recoupment begins so if if it is a um, post claim uh, post pay review and a claim has already been paid there's a good chance if you don't prevail at the first two levels that that money is going to be paid back just to just due to the delay so that that even makes it more costly uh, for the provider. And with that, we now turn to questions. And I'm looking forward to hearing what uh, what y'all may have had come up during the uh, presentation. Okay, Trey, this is uh, Catherine. So um, we did have a few questions come in. Um, so one of the questions was, um, what are the most important stages um, that you might have there? In the appeals process, the most important stages obviously are the redetermination and the reconsideration stage. You need to put everything you have into those two stages to try to prevail due to the backlog at the ALJ level. If you prevail at those two stages, and if it's an extrapolation and you knock the extrapolation out, that limits, that really reduces your overpayment, um, then that it's, it's, not going, it's not going to be uh, as much of a burden to be recouped at the ALJ level. If you don't prevail, then like, like I said, you, you end up in that situation where you're where you're being recouped on a very large amount. So the first two stages are the absolute most important. Okay, good. So um, another question we had come in was, um, what happens after a judge issues a decision at the judicial review stage? This is a very good question. Um, after a judge issues a decision at the judicial review level, um you go through you go through the normal uh normal judicial appeals process uh you have you can appeal to the uh fifth or you can appeal to the sorry in saying the fifth you can appeal to the uh circuit court of appeals for the um circuit that you are in for example like i said texas is the fifth circuit so that example i used of the dallas provider uh, say the Dallas provider gets a decision from the Northern District that is unfavorable, and they decide to take it up to the uh, Fifth Circuit. Uh, the Fifth Circuit would review, ultimately determine whether or not um, whether or not to hear it, 
and then they would issue a decision. And after that, depending on the situation, you could even appeal to the Supreme Court of the United States. So it doesn't, the appeal doesn't die after the judicial review level. It unfortunately just ends up in litigation and can get additional, uh, get costly. Okay. And um, then, uh, so do you recommend uh, escalation? That's another question we had. Do I recommend escalation? Um, based on based on everything I've seen, I do not recommend escalation. Um, the benefit of it, like I said, is that your case actually gets heard. However, you lose the opportunity to prevail, and that that is a that is such a big thing because to, for the phrase bites at the apple, um, you are essentially removing a bite at the apple, an opportunity to an opportunity to prevail each time you each time you escalate. And with the lawsuits out there and the recent case decisions. I, I would recommend uh, filing, filing the injunction and potentially having the injunction issued and preventing, preventing recoupment. That would prevent um, that would prevent the reason for why you would want to escalate because losing losing that opportunity is is not something you want to do. Okay, um, good advice. Um, all right, I think we're running a little bit um, over time. So I think that uh, we had a few other questions, but um, I think I'm gonna take those um, offline and we'll we'll just take those into, um, into email. So um, if we had other questions, um, you're gonna get those attendees um, uh, addressed um, directly. So, um, Trey, I wanted to thank you. Could you do you have a um, a contact slide there? I do. Yes. Thank you very much for giving me the um, opportunity. And if you have any questions after the fact uh, that you did not submit, uh, just contact me directly. Uh, my email is Trey at markkennedylaw.com. That's M-A-R-K-K-E-N-N-E-D-Y-L-A-W.com. Perfect, perfect. And if for some reason um, you didn't uh, weren't able to to get that there, um, or if you think of something later, um, you can contact us here at uh, First Healthcare. Um, and so my contact will be up there in just a minute, which is communications at one uh, sthcc dot com. Uh, you can also register for future webinars or request a demo of our compliance solution on our website, which is firsthcc.com. You can also call us at 888-543-4778. Uh, did you have any final thoughts at all, uh, Trey? Just thank you for the opportunity. And again, if you have any questions that come up after the fact, feel free to uh, shoot me an email and I'll do the best I can uh, to um, answer the question. Okay, great.
Great. Well, we thank you so much. We're very appreciative. Um, I know I'm uh, so so grateful for you presenting this. A lot of really, really great information and uh, very interesting. So thank you so much. And uh, attendees, I wanted to thank you so much for joining us also. So um, thank you. Thank you.